Well, one of the things that Melanie and I like to do the most is premarital counseling. And one of the things we ask in premarital counseling is, well, I, I, I threw you guys for a curveball there. I realized as that was coming out of my mouth, I'm like, that's not what we're doing here, okay? Freeman, Mel wants to crawl under her chair right from the start. Premarital counseling, you're, you're talking about what is marriage from a biblical perspective, talking about why you're getting married. And I always ask that question, why are you guys getting married? And then nervous laughter, and they look at each other and say, well, sometimes a guy gives me a look like, dude, look at her. Like, I'm not going to do any better. Like, she's pretty much perfect, right? The idea, the idea is that, yes, there needs to be a physical attraction, right? There needs to be romance, right? But then it's kind of a larger question. Why do we do anything? What is our goal in all of life? And the goal in all of life is to glorify God in everything that we're doing. And so the right answer, premarital couples, listen up. The right answer is you get married because you can glorify God better together than you can apart. You, uh, you combine your superpowers as human beings, and now you're doubly glorifying the Lord with everything that you do because you are getting married. It's a covenant that you're entering into before God, family, and friends that you will be exclusively devoted to each other in this covenant. And of course, it's pretty important stuff. And it all comes down to love. How do husband and wife love each other? And then how do we, as a church, as believers, show love to each other? How do we do this? How do we walk through this today? And I'm glad you asked, and we're going to take, take a look at all of that today. So if you're still in Exodus chapter 20, that's where we're going to be. We are making our way through the book, well, through the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. Last week, we looked at the Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder, which I trust and pray opened all of our eyes to the reality that obeying God's moral law is not just checking the boxes. You can't reduce it to did this. I didn't murder anybody today. Great job. It's a lot more than that, right? We might be tempted to think we're okay because we haven't murdered anybody. But as Jesus indicated in fulfilling and transforming the law on the Sermon on the Mount... Obeying the moral law of God is way more involved. Have you murdered anyone in your heart? Have you been angry with them? He says you have broken this commandment. How many people have we murdered in our hearts by cursing them, thinking evil of them? Every commandment not only calls us to obey it on the face level, but also to the fullest extent of the implications therein. In this case, it's not simply about avoiding murdering someone, but to do all that we can to preserve our lives and the lives of others. This week, we look at the seventh commandment, and we look at adultery, and the same principle applies. It is not about box-checking obedience here. It is the goal of the seventh commandment, or, or rather, let me ask it as a question. Is the goal of the seventh commandment just to avoid committing physical, sexual adultery with someone outside of your marriage? Most certainly not. And let's look again at this commandment. Exodus 20 and verse 14 says simply, you shall not commit adultery. In the Hebrew, again, just two words, and our Hebrew word here for adultery means the actual physical act of sexual relations with someone who is not your spouse. Again, the marriage covenant is exclusive. The sexual union of husband and wife 
is the exclusive privilege of that covenant. And let's get one thing straight up front, shall we? I know when we talk about sex, it's a little awkward. But God's the one who created sex. God's the one who created it. God's the one who put it in the covenant of marriage. The world is the one that twisted it and perverted it and took it outside of its original context that God has intended. Sometimes when we're in the the premarital counseling and we get to this subject, right, we bring up the example of fire. We have fire in a fireplace or in a wood stove. That's its proper place. And when you have a fire going, it brings warmth, it brings ambiance, it brings all of that and more, right? But if you were to take that fire out of where it's supposed to be and put it in your house, outside of a stove or outside of a fireplace, what would it bring? It would bring destruction. That's the same idea God has as he created sex. He has one place for it. And in that place is where God says it brings blessing. Take it out of that place and it brings destruction. So what is forbidden here is not sex, but again, unlawful sex. God's the one who set the standard. God invented it, therefore God's the one who sets the standard for how it is to be used. His law, any unlawful use of sex is prohibited. Most certainly, of course, is any sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage. God takes adultery very, very seriously. Under the civil law of Israel, it was punishable by death. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, for example, it says this, If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. God takes adultery very seriously. Marriage is much more than a piece of paper that you get from town hall. I mean, there's the local legal aspect of it, of course, which we do, right? But it is also a spiritual covenant. God himself unites a couple in marriage and creates this one flesh, this union that only he can do. A famous passage about marriage is Genesis chapter 2, which I'm quick to bring up at every ceremony that I officiate in. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, watch this, and they shall become one flesh. That's what happens. God performs that union, one flesh. What affects the other person then automatically affects the other person. What affects one person automatically affects the other person. No longer are they separate individuals in life. They are joined together as one flesh. And the sexual union of husband and wife is the symbolic act, acting out that covenant that God has created in the one flesh. And so what then is commanded? Of course, it's, it's forbidden to have sexual activity outside of marriage, but we see what is commanded. The opposite command is inferred and must be obeyed. If we are to not be having sex with anyone outside of the bonds of marriage, then we are to be having sex with our spouse within marriage. So I'll say the first point this way. We are commanded to respect and enjoy the marriage covenant. We are commanded to respect and enjoy the marriage covenant. God has given us, as human beings, tremendous gift in the sexual intimacy of husband and wife. And God, as the giver and creator of sex, is the only one who therefore gets to say how and when it should be used. 
author and theologian J.I. Packer put it this way, what the words you shall not commit adultery call us to face is first, that sex is for marriage and marriage only. Second, that marriage must be seen as the relation of lifelong fidelity. And third, that other people's marriages must not be interfered with by sexual intrusion. And one mark of true maturity is to grasp these principles and to live by them. The New Testament affirms in the book of Hebrews that the marriage bed is itself sacred. In Hebrews 13.4, it says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Notice again that there's a theme of judgment here. God, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is very serious about respecting and honoring and enjoying the marriage covenant. And further, just as with the other commandments, we're not merely concerned with our own obedience to the law, but we're concerned with helping others obey all these commandments as well. We have to take the blinders off. We have to realize that this is just not for us. How do we help others obey God's moral law? And of course, how do we help others in being sexually pure? The Ten Commandments has a community focus, and I want to try to address various groups, because when we're in a group this size, right, we have all different kinds of, of situations. First, I'm, in, I'm aware that in a group this size that there are people in this room that have been personally affected by adultery. Maybe you yourself committed adultery. Maybe your spouse did, or a former spouse did. Maybe it was a parent when you were young. Maybe it was that that led to the end of your marriage or your parents' marriage or a friend's marriage. Please, right from the start, let's flood this with the grace of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness that only he gives us through the cross. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven because it's not just forgiveness. It is new life in Jesus Christ. We also need to realize that we aren't just talking to the happily married in this room today. If you're happily married and you're walking and enjoying and honoring the marriage covenant, amen. Thank you. Please keep doing that. But I understand that we're not just talking to the happily married. There are those who are unhappily married. To maybe the idea of enjoying and honoring the marriage covenant is a far thought. Maybe it seems difficult at best. And to you, I say, God sees you and God knows you and he is willing and he is able to bring life and reconciliation to any situation through Jesus Christ. There are those here who are not married but want to be. As many people already know, you can't just snap your fingers and make the spouse of your dreams appear. And to you, I say, please don't be discouraged. I, I don't know what God has for you, but I know that he is good. And I know that he is with you. Stay faithful. Don't settle. Be the godly spouse you want to attract. And don't compromise on intimacy. There are those here today that may or may not be married. But anytime the topic of sex comes up, it's a very sensitive topic. Maybe some of us are sexually wounded or have many scars. In the rearview mirror of their lives are all sorts of scars that still hurt when you talk about sex. And to you, I say, please remember, those scars, they may remain, but the grace of God is greater than all of our sin. And the creator of life can bring new life to those situations. 
There is always hope for healing in Jesus Christ. And lastly, I know that there are youngsters here who also want to crawl under their chairs right now. (laughs) The marriage might be a decade or two away. I'll say this to you, though, dads. It's going to come faster than you think. I know you have long days where you're just like, "Mm," but you'll blink. Morgan was six, and then somehow I walked her down the aisle last August. So it's, it comes very quickly. But to you youngsters, I say, please listen to the truth of God's word. Please don't fall for the spell of the world. Please trust God at his, world, at his word. Instead of the culture's definition of sexuality, one is truth. This is truth. What the world sells you is a lie. What the world sells you is fiction, and it comes with consequences. So please, I say to you, stand firm in the law of God. Just like many others that we have talked about, God's law does not exist to take life from us. God's law exists to bring us life. Leviticus 18, chapter 5 says this, You shall keep my statutes and my rules. Watch this. If a person does them, he shall live by them. There might be no other commandment that we're going to go that, is, that we're going to go over that will just tell you if you keep this commandment, it will go so much better for you. You will bring so much life to yourself. You will save yourself so much pain if you listen to God's law about sex, and we are commanded to respect and enjoy sex in the marriage covenant. So foundation set, that's explanation. Then let's move on to application. How do we violate this and how do we obey this? in 2023 America. Obviously, adultery is alive and well in 2023. We live in a culture of sexual rebellion. We live in a culture where there are no sexual standards, where you set those sexual standards. And so, yes, we can still do and sinfully do violate God's law today in 2023 when we commit the act of physical adultery. But as you might imagine... It's not just only physical adultery that violates the seventh commandment. It's also heart adultery. Some of you are probably thinking of Jesus' words right where we left off last week where he blew the idea of murder right out of the water, right? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, he says this, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Here's Jesus quoting our verse, quoting this passage directly, and now he's going to preach a little expositional sermon on it. He's going to apply it. And he's going to say, I'm here now. This is what this means. I'm fulfilling this and I'm transforming this. He said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Anyone who has looked at another person with lustful intent has already committed adultery with them. Let's define terms. What is lustful intent? Our Greek word here is epithumeo, which means a desire that is out of control. It is a strong desire that you are not in control of. The Puritans used to call those things inordinate desires. It's, an, it's, an, it's a desire that's out of order, a desire that's out of its place, a desire that's out of line. This is a really good proof that we see in the Word of God that desires themselves are sinful. We can have sinful desires. Those are sinful desires, right? If we have a desire for someone that's not our spouse, that is a sinful desire. And we need to repent and turn from that. 
Because Jesus makes it very clear we've already sinned. Last week, we talked about anger and bitterness as sinful desires. That Jesus says you have murdered them already in your hearts. Church, how we need the gospel, don't we? Author, pastor, seminary professor Kevin DeYoung puts it this way. Noticing that someone of the opposite sex is pretty or handsome is not a sin. The sin is when noticing becomes epithumeo, when the recognition becomes desire, coveting, lingering, and lust. Adultery, in other words, is a matter of the heart. And Jesus here is rejecting, once again, the box-checking, heartless obedience of the Pharisees, who would walk around and say, I haven't slept with anyone besides my wife. And Jesus says, well, what about your heart? What's in your heart? Because if you've thought that, you've already done it in your heart. So how do we violate this command today? I'll give you one to violate, and then we'll talk about one in obeying. So we violate this command by committing adultery in the heart or in the body. We violate this commandment today by committing adultery in the heart or in the body. Lusting is adultery of the heart. It's not merely noticing someone. We're human beings. We could notice other attractive people, but then what do we do with that thought? Does it turn into a sexual thought or not? We can lust after real flesh and blood people. We all have people in our lives, friends, coworkers, neighbors, strangers we see in public. How many times do we look at that person that we think they might be attractive? If we saw them once, we don't need to take a second look. They're not going to get unattractive in the time that we took that first look to the second look. I just got to check it out just to make sure she was as pretty as I thought she was. Okay, don't, do, don't stop. Sometimes you can't do anything about the first look, but you can on the second look, right? Do we linger on our thoughts of anyone? Do we let our thoughts turn sexual? Do we create opportunities to see people that we're attracted to? If we work with them, do we come up with reasons to interact with them? If we know they work in a restaurant or a store, do we go when we know that they are working? If we do, we're stoking the fires of lust. What if we're dating someone? Hopefully you find somebody attractive that you're dating. It's usually how that works, right? But again, it's not just us. How are we protecting the person that we're dating from violating this commandment? We're not just trying to keep this commandment for ourselves, but help others keep it as well. Couples, how are you protecting each other against violating this commandment? And men, this is a great way to lead. Before you lead as a husband, before you get the title of husband, lead in this way in your physical relationship when you're dating. And let me just say, if you are having sex before marriage, you are violating this commandment because God has told us one place for sex. And if that's before marriage, before the marriage covenant, you are violating this commandment and you're in sin. God's law is very clear about that. For all of us, how about the way we dress? Are we creating opportunities for someone to lust by the way we dress? Immodest dress draws attention and stirs sexual desire, like it or not. Sometimes we can have a, put a distance between, well, I'm sorry, you know, they lusted, that's not my problem. It's like, well, you are wearing a string bikini, so maybe you could think about that a little more, Right? Westminster Larger Catechism puts it this way in question 138. What are the duties required in the seventh commandment? 
The duties required in the seventh commandment are chastity in body, mind, and affections, words and behavior, and the preservation of it in ourselves and other, others, watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses, temperance, keeping of chaste company, and modesty in apparel. Westminster, again, covers so many bases in this. Again, are we interested in just checking the box here? Are we interested in what Jesus says about the heart? Doing whatever we can to uphold the spirit of this commandment to the highest degree. So we can commit adultery in the heart. We can lust physically after physical people. But we can also commit adultery in the heart by lusting after virtual people. And of course, the first thing that comes to mind is the plague and cancer on our society known as online pornography. The bad news is this. Every time you look at pornography, you are breaking this commandment. You are in sin. And you are feeding the machine that is destroying sex in our culture. The websites themselves, which I am not going to name, fuel sexual, tra- sexual trafficking. And sometimes the videos are so explicit with women who are sexually trafficked or being assaulted or even being raped Porn is increasingly violent and dark, and many sites even include child pornography. We see the world, you know it's bad when the world itself cries out against something. And we see secular psychologists, secular physicians, counselors that have no care in the world about the law of God saying pornography is a cancer on our society. It is destroying the sexuality of a generation of youth. And it has to be stopped. Statistics, of course, are sickening. 35% of all internet downloads are porn. More than 40 million U.S. adults regularly visit porn sites. About 10% of them admit to being addicted to pornography. The porn industry is a 17 billion, with a B, dollar industry, which is more than NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. In the church... 70% of men and 20% of women and 50% of pastors report regularly looking at porn. I can recall in seminary years and years ago uh, in a preaching class, the, the professor, Dr. York, he was talking about cell phones. It kind of got off on a tangent and I wasn't sure where he was going with it. But he stopped and his face got very seriously and he said, You know, my wife leads the Seminary Wives Institute, and and 20 years ago, the Seminary Wives Institute, the big question for the wives was, how can I get my husband to just, like, calm down a little bit? Like, he just wants to have sex all the time. Now, 20 years later, do you know what the question is? How can I get my husband to be more interested in me sexually? Why? Because so many of them are hooked on porn. And he became so emotional Thinking about that, thinking about that, that, that change that is happening even in the church, even in men who are training for ministry, and he made us promise to avoid the pitfalls of online pornography because it is a cancer that's not only in the world, it's in the church. If you are watching online porn, you need to stop. It is straight up sinful, and it has absolutely no place in the life of a believer. But I also realize that it's not that easy, right? 
Porn has a powerful negative effect on the brain. It lights it up. Some studies have shown just as much as cocaine or any other kind of drug. It's a, it's a dopamine reflex that continues. It might be as hard to give up sometimes as a drug addiction. And so if you're, if you're here and you've never looked at porn, run from it. Odds are you will see it at some point because it's everywhere. But know that it is toxic. One author wrote that every time you look at sexually explicit material, you are secretly conveying poison into your heart. But if you're hooked on it, get help today. If you're a member, talk to your shepherd. If you're here, talk to me. Talk to an elder. Talk to somebody. Drag the sin out into the light and kill it, or it's going to be killing you, as John Owen said. You are in a war and you're losing. You need to get help So online porn, though the most obvious way we can violate this commandment virtually today, there are others, right? There are sexually explicit romance novels, podcasts, chat rooms, and millions and millions of memes and reels and TikToks that just push the boundary just enough for us to be stirred sexually in lust. So we violate this commandment today when we commit adultery in the heart or in the body. So how do we obey this commandment? Since the place for sexual activity is biblical marriage, we obey this commandment by focusing on marriage itself. I'm going to give you three ways we obey this commandment by protecting marriage, by prioritizing marriage, and by preparing for marriage. First, we protect marriage. If you're married, your spouse is your most important person. You protect that relationship. There are no other relationships in your life with human beings that are more important than your spouse. You protect that relationship. You don't have any best friends of the opposite sex. You don't have any work spouses. No one you share emotional details with on that level. No inappropriate sexual joking around with anyone else. We are super careful to protect what we view. No sexually explicit content. We protect the intimacy of our marriage on all fronts, sexual intimacy, emotional intimacy, relational intimacy. There are no secrets between husbands and wives. Nothing is off limit. Full phone access. Your spouse should be able to grab your phone and look at it without you getting nervous. She should know all of your passwords. There's no secret text messages. There's no secret DMs. There's no hidden apps with different passwords. You protect your marriage at all costs. A lot of that has to do with regular confession of sin, right? Because we we just came to the table. We just spent some moments focusing on how sinful we are. But through that, yeah, we remember that we need to be confessing our sin to our spouses and asking forgiveness regularly. That's how that works. We don't hold things. We don't hide sin from our spouses. So we protect marriage. Second, We prioritize marriage. As it is the most important human relationship, it's also the one with the only exclusive covenant, right, of sexual intimacy. So we prioritize that. We prioritize sexual intimacy in our marriages. How do we obey this commandment in 2023? We need to have healthy, biblical, sexual relationships in our marriages. Sex needs to be a priority in our marriages, I love this church. This guy's making a lot of sense. We should come back here. That's what I'm talking about. This guy's good. You hear what he said? (laughs) 
It's the truth. We need to be having biblical sexual relationships with our spouses only. It needs to be healthy. It's in the Bible. I'll even show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Some of you are visiting today and you're just like, I don't know. <laughs> we, my wife, Mel said before I, I go up, first she said, please don't make me crawl under her chair. But second of all, she said, welcome to Highlands Bible Church. <laughs> we make immature disciples and we don't skip the stuff that's in God's word, just like Paul said, right? 1 Corinthians 7, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, Paul's answering the church at Corinth's letter. They said to Paul, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So their idea was, hey, we want to be so chaste that we're just not going to have sex at all. How about that, Apostle Paul? The apostle said, no, that's a really bad idea. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For, if the, wife, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive each other sexually, except perhaps for an agreement over a limited time that you might devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is what marriage is supposed to look like, a healthy sexual relationship. Now, sex isn't always possible, right? Sometimes we have seasons of life where we have little kids running around all the time, and we have to be prioritizing our relationship. Sometimes we have seasons of life where we're sick, and that's not going to be a possibility, right? Sometimes we have seasons of life just with our age, right? But it is something that we need to prioritize as much as possible. If you are physically able to be having sex in marriage regularly and you're not, you're in sin. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 told us. It's that important. Why? For one reason, it just promotes intimacy in the marriage completely, right? Sexual intimacy is the end of the intimacy chain, right? It starts with emotional intimacy and then, of course, physical intimacy. That's why the world has that completely backwards. The world says, no, let's just start with physical intimacy. That's wrong and destructive. God says it's the end of the intimacy, just the most intimate thing you can do with another human being. That's why I saved it for the most important intimate relationship possible in marriage. But also, we saw in 1 Corinthians 7, what is it? It's a natural protectant against sexual immorality. That's what Paul says. He's like, guys, don't stop. Like, that's a bad idea. God's given you these desires. God's given you these urges. And he's given you the place to to have those fulfilled in marriage itself. Thomas Watson, writing in 1692, said this, to avoid fornication, which is sex before marriage, and adultery... Let every man have a chaste, entire love to his own wife. Husbands, let's lead the way on this. Obey this commandment by prioritizing your marriage. We prioritize our marriages above our careers, above our status, above our hobbies, even above our kids. Kids are going to be gone one day. Really, they're going to move out. And then you're going to be with your spouse. That's when we see a lot of marriages break down. Why? Because in the middle was the kids, and now the kids are gone. 
our intimacy is gone too. It never existed. Maybe it died two or three decades ago and nobody noticed. Right? We prioritize our marriage. Do everything you can to act out the one flesh union in marriage. Things like going to bed at the same time, eating meals together, watching TV, even have phone staring time together in the same room. Right? I know we all have phone staring time. We all do that, right? But do that together. Go to the grocery store together. Read the Bible together. Here's one of the best ways you can do. Pray together. This is one of the most intimate things you can do with your spouse. It doesn't have to be long. Just pray with your spouse. Prioritize your marriage. Spouses can sometimes lead separate lives. We have different hobbies. We have different friends. We have different routines. Act out your one flesh covenant together as much as possible. Get away together. It doesn't have to be expensive. It just has to be away. Somewhere. Away. Husbands, another really good thing for you to lead in. Here's a pro tip, pro marriage tip, right? Husbands, pick the place. Husbands, get the kids settled somewhere where they're going to be okay for a little bit, right? Pay for it. Do all that stuff. Do a little bit of planning. Unless the place is a total dump, your wife is going to absolutely love it. Why? Because she didn't have to do it. And it shows what? That you are prioritizing your marriage. I want to get away with you. Do everything you can to act out the one flesh. So how do we obey this commandment? We protect marriage. We prioritize marriage. But also for the youngsters, we prepare for marriage. We said every week that if you actually live out these commandments, you're going to be countercultural. You're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And few things are more controversial today than a biblical marriage. So how do you obey this commandment? Well, first off, get married. Get married. I know the singles here are like, great idea, Pastor Mike. (laughs) I've been trying to do that for a long time. Right? We can't make spouses appear. Right? But the world is in sexual rebellion, and that includes rebellion against marriage. People are not getting married young if they're getting married at all. Most of the time, they're trapped in this, this cycle of hookup, shack up, break up. If you're single, are you moving towards marriage? Is it on your radar? Now, I know a lot of that's beyond our control, right? But how are you preparing for marriage? Here's how you don't prepare for marriage. By sleeping around and looking at porn. How you prepare for marriage is to be the godly spouse right now so that the godly spouse will see you and notice you and want to be married. Be the godly spouse that you are trying to attract right now. Pray for the godly spouse to come. Pray for God to bring you a godly spouse. I love that we have youngsters here. Youngsters, right? Half my age or my kid's age, right? 25 years old that have houses and kids and marriages, that's awesome. That's completely countercultural. Because people are like, what are you doing? Like, shouldn't you like sleep with 100 people and get married at like 40? No. Get married early. Have babies. Buy houses. Do all of that stuff. And I love to see that. I understand I'm stepping on sensitive areas. We have people that want to be married but aren't yet. I get that. Marriage is one of those things we can't control. Don't set your standards too low. Don't compromise. Don't set your standards too high. Don't compromise. 
Trust the Lord and his timing. I'll throw in one more as a bonus. We protect marriage, we prioritize marriage, we prepare for marriage, but what if you're an older saint that has passed marriage? Maybe your spouse died a long time ago. Maybe you're, you're, you're an older saint who's with us this morning. I'll give you one more. Pray. Pray for the marriages around you. Pray for the marriages of this church. Pray for marriage in general in society. Pray for the marriages of your kids and your grandkids. Pray that they find good and godly spouses. Pray for marriage to be protected, prioritized, and prepared for. Pray for repentance and faith for those that you know that are stuck in the swamp of adultery and sexual immorality and online porn. We violate this commandment when we commit adultery in the heart or in the body, and we obey this commandment when we protect, prioritize, and prepare for marriage. And also, we pray for the marriages around us if that is not us. The seventh commandment is not just checking the box to make sure that we don't have physical sex with someone that's not our spouse. It is a full commitment to God's standard of sexual purity. Once again, God gives us this law for our good, for our life. He gives us this law because he loves us. And once again, it comes down to how we love others. So here's the big idea. We love others by honoring marriage. We love others by honoring marriage. Conviction comes very quickly with this commandment. In some way, shape, or form, we have all violated this commandment. Jesus makes that very clear. We violate this commandment in our hearts. But there's a bigger application here of adultery, and this bigger application comes with even more conviction. Yay, I thought we were almost done. What are you doing? We have all committed adultery, people spiritual adultery in our hearts towards God. We are called to love God with everything we have, our mind, soul, heart, and strength. And every time we don't do that, what does that mean? Well, yeah, we're failing him, but it also means we're loving something else more than him. The Bible calls that spiritual adultery. And if you really want to read some blatant passages about it, go to Jeremiah, go to Hosea. You see what God thinks about spiritual adultery. And so God knows exactly what adultery feels like because we have all chosen at one time or another to love ourselves more than him. Marriage isn't the only covenant relationship. We are all in a covenant relationship with our creator and every human being has rejected him and broken that covenant. So God knows exactly what adultery feels like. That's why he takes such a hard stance on it. If you read the Old Testament again, you will see this. God has very strong sexual language to convey how broken he is over Israel's spiritual adultery. And we are no better than Israel. Some of us here today have broken this commandment in blatant sexual ways, but we all have broken this commandment in spiritual ways against God himself. But God. God didn't let it end there. We've got to get to that point every, every week. I feel like we're here, right? Where it's just like I could see the conviction written all over everybody's face, and then I have to bring you to the gospel. Because that's what the law is supposed to do. The law is supposed to convict us, and the law is supposed to bring us to the hope of the gospel. I have to point you to the grace, the forgiveness, the hope, and the healing of the gospel. And Paul summarizes it very well in 1 Corinthians in another passage in 1 Corinthians 6. 
He says in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Watch this, church. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You guys catch that? Such were some of you. We're not talking about here about checking the box. We're not talking about great job today. I didn't sleep with someone who wasn't my spouse. We're never going to earn God's favor through obedience to the law. But we were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified by faith in Jesus Christ. That's new life, church. That's new hope. That is hope that gets us beyond the conviction of the law. And that's where we see the glory of God shining in our marriages. And so church, let's respect and enjoy the marriage covenant if it applies to you. Let's all obey this commandment by protecting and prioritizing our marriage. And if you're not married yet, prepare for marriage. And if you're past marriage, please pray for the marriages around us. And let all that we do be done in Love, love for God and love for each other. And we love each other by honoring marriage. Father, this word again is convicting, although it's just one sentence. We know in our hearts that we all are adulterers. Lord, in a room this size, we know that there are people that have struggled with this sin physically. We know that most all of us have struggled with this sin mentally or in our hearts And yet we also know that all of us are under the conviction of spiritual adultery, of loving something else more than you. Help us, Father. Let the conviction that we feel lead us to the hope of the gospel. Do your work in our hearts to draw us to you. Create new life where there needs to be. Bring repentance and faith and healing where there needs to be. And glorify yourself in our church and our marriages. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.